0: There's a little bit of a back uh, doubling up or loop up here, guys. Nice. Um, some of you may ask, so I'll, I'll answer you all at once right now. Um, if you've been tracking it all with Hurricane Ian uh, going on uh, over there in the states, because um, you know our family is all there in Central Florida. So yes, my uh, my parents, both my sisters, my brother, their families, their extended families, uh, we're all directly in the path of of Ian, and um, yeah, God preserved and protected all of them, so that um they have only a tremendous amount of debris in their yards but and their power is out, but it could have been so much worse, so we're really thankful, but we are mindful of so many other people whose lives have just been absolutely devastated um I've been to the Fort Myers area many times, and uh, to see the pictures of that place being absolutely leveled is um pretty horrific. Um, so, uh, again, those prayers of Pastor Mike on behalf of believers in places and times of distress, I'm uh, praying that way for them as well. that Those churches there will have the ability to not only have their own needs met, but that they can see the opportunity to share Christ's love and the gospel with others around them whose lives are devastated without hope. For the believers, they may lose all of their material things, and yet they have something that sustains them and the other people do not. So we pray for God's people to be mobilized at a time like this. And uh, and that brings me a little bit to the direction of the message today. I'm stepping away from Leviticus for to, for this Sunday at least, perhaps next Sunday as well, um, just because there are some other things uh, on the heart, I guess, that, that God has been uh, stirring, and just feel like I should be responsive to that. And so, uh, so I'm redirecting a little bit today, and I would like to Uh, invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And since I've been prayed for, we'll just proceed. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 20 through 22, but then um, also kind of um, a cross-reference passage as well. If you ever find yourself, as you you observe the, the world and its events and our society around us and the way things are happening, if you find yourself... Uh, worrying and, and fretting about it, I hope, I pray, that you will learn with me to turn those moments around into times of prayer. Because we know, as Scripture tells us, we should not put our, our faith and our, our hope in people. Not even kings, not even princes, as, as the psalm says. Uh, and so uh, we know that even having the right people, as we might deem them, in office is still not necessarily the solution to our society's ills and to the direction that we are going. So we may despair when we see certain people in power who we know do not love God, who aggressively want to pull our society further and further from God, who want to repress those of us who trust God and want to worship Him and share the gospel. These, wor- these things worry us, and we want to become politically active sometimes and things like that, and I, and I believe that we, that is part of being salt and light, is to use the voice, as Pastor Mike already mentioned as well, you know, God has blessed us to be in a place where we have the privilege of having a voice, and we should be responsible to use it. But we know, ultimately, only God can change hearts, only God can bless a society And when a society turns from God, his blessing is removed. His protection is removed. And that society will face increasing
1: difficulty. We see that happening. So what is the solution? It's changed hearts. changed lives.
0: It's more people in that society turning to God, submitting themselves to his lordship, accepting his standards of Morality, his standards of how we ought to live. And then society is changed from the ground up. Really, I should say, from the heart out.
1: So what do we do? We pray, as we are instructed to. First Timothy chapter 2. But we also need to consider what should our role be.
0: Beyond voting, beyond taking the opportunity to speak up when we, when we have those opportunities to address societal things, what else are we supposed to be doing? And we can see the answer to that, I believe, in the Apostle Paul's heart in First Corinthians, uh, where we begin in chapter 9. Now, in this context, just because this is a little bit of a, I'll admit this is a, a topical message and our usual approach here, is more methodical exposition as we work our way through books. And by the way, this is just a little sidecar, perhaps, because, or a little aside, um, because we throw certain terms around sometimes throughout, you know, uh, Christianity. Um, I've, I've heard many people over the years, and I'm talking back in America and so on, who and they might talk about their church and their pastor, they maybe like his preaching and so on, and 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 they say, oh, it's just wonderful, just, you know, the just expositional preaching. And then I go and sit there and listen to this pastor preach, and I go, hmm, that's not expositional preaching. Some people seem to think that expositional just means good. You know, if they like the preaching, they call it expositional preaching. But it actually has a technical meaning. It actually means preaching that exposes, that's exposition, preaching that exposes the meaning of the text. So expositional preaching is actually not just using a verse and then springboarding into a talk. It is actually going through the text, recognizing the genre, the form, the grammar, the syntax, the thought that is meant to be conveyed by the original author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and being absolutely tethered to that for the entire message. That's expositional preaching. Now, when it comes to topical preaching, you can be expositional, and I pray that I will achieve that today by God's help, uh, because you can, do, you can do faithful study within the context of the verses that you are drawing upon to address a topic. And so it's kind of maybe indirect exegesis where you, know, you do your study where you are. And I've tried to do that. I, I've looked at the context. I'm not plucking verses because that little, little snippet, that phrase, that clause happens to say the thing that I think I can use, but I am trying to be faithful to the thought of the context in which it lies. So, so here's a little bit of the context. Paul is defending himself against certain accusers who have said, you know, uh, this Paul, he's really just in the ministry. I'm obviously paraphrasing. He's just in the ministry to gain a following and to get money and we've seen people do this right i mean there have been some notorious televangelists in our in our time who have done that right they essentially have gotten into ministry because it gave them a platform and a way to you know milk people for money and make themselves wealthy and this was kind of the accusation that was being made against paul and so paul responds and lays out the the sacrifices that he has made and and the work that he has done and how committed he is and how willing he is to go completely without and has done so many times, all for the sake of the gospel. And essentially says, I would rather be completely impoverished if that's what it takes for the gospel to move forward. And so I'm not going to remind you of the fact that I poured my life out for you for years, that I spent day and night teaching you, that I you know, went hungry, I was beaten, I was thrown in jail. I'm not going to mention that. I'm not going to stake my claim as an apostle of the things that perhaps you do legitimately owe me. And I just want you to understand that the gospel is the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned. And so we, we see his heart just kind of being poured out here in a very human sort of a moment. But again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God was uh, teaching his church through this, uh, how they ought to view people in ministry, how it is their responsibility to provide for them, um, in a material way so that they can put their time and their attention and their energy, energies into the ministry. And yet, for the minister, the priority is, rich or poor, the gospel is most important. And so in this context, Paul uh, gives us these verses. If you'll pop those up there on the screen, please. It says to the Jews, he was being accused of, you know, waffling this way or that way, acting you know, according to Jewish law sometimes, and not acting according to the Jewish law, you know, maybe compromising by his connections with Gentiles and things like that. Issues were raised about whether they should eat meat that's been offered to idols before being put out on the market, and was that an issue for him, and so on. And so he's addressing all of these accusations. As to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. And to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, because of his uh, correct and clear argument of this position uh, under grace through Jesus Christ, uh, that I might win those under the law. So in other words, I, I, I give up some of my rights and freedoms when I'm amongst the Jewish people in order that I might reach them with the gospel. Verse 21, to those outside the law, in other words, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, and that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. There you see Paul's willingness to be flexible, to bend, give up rights to give up preferences from one context to another and also to be gracious and giving and not uh, applying the laws of moses uh, you know imposing them upon gentile people who were not expected to be under that law anyway and and so on so so you see paul just willing to do what it takes that by all means more people might come to christ now, this is raised, of course, for some people. You know the issue of pragmatism. Is Paul? Does this justify us? Then, you know, does this mean I can go down and uh, shoot heroin with, uh, you know, with with junkies so that I can, you know, connect with them where they live right now and share the gospel with them? Is that what it means? What
1: do you think? It's not. It's not un. It's not uh, unbridled pragmatism.
0: It is, as he says. He's Under the law of Christ, he's not going to do anything that disgraces Christ, that displeases the Savior, but he's saying, I, if, if I'm with the Jewish people and they don't understand freedom in Christ, if they still feel that, that they, need to, they have to live according to exactly the, the Mosaic law, I'm not going to flaunt my freedom in front of them. I would rather give up eating that meat or rather give up doing this or the other thing in order that I might be able to communicate the gospel with them. But on the other hand, I know my freedom in Christ, so if, if I have opportunity with Gentile people, I'll eat with them. And that was something that was an absolute no-no before. you know, Under the law, for Jewish people, and under the tradition of the Pharisees, they would never do that. And we see, we see just for clarification points on the next slide, verse. if we go further up in this context prior to where we've just read, verse 12, he says we endure anything uh, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see his heart, what this is, right? It's a sacrificial heart. It's not a heart, it's not a libertine heart. He's not saying, oh, I can do anything I want and justify it by saying it's for the sake of the gospel. That's not his heart, is it? Uh, and the next one, verse 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's the impetus. That's the driving thing. Verse 19 as well, though I am free from all, and again, the understanding of his position in Christ free from the law, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is his, his heart and his context. Let's look at um, the next chapter, First Corinthians chapter 10. He goes on there, uh, beginning in verse 23, and it actually crosses over this particular um, context. Um, I believe verse 1 of, of chapter 11 should have been included at the end of chapter 10. It um, says, all things are lawful. So, again, recognizing his freedom in Christ, all things are lawful, but not all things are
1: helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up or edify. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market
0: without raising any questions as to the ground of conscience. In other words, don't ask. If it's a problem, you know, if it's a matter of conscience, whether it's been offered to an idol, just don't ask. Then it won't bother your conscience. <laughs> yeah. Eat whatever's sold in the market. Don't raise questions. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers' writes, so in other words, you know, God made these things for us. Idols, uh, Paul understands rightly the idols are nothing. So who cares if the meat was waved in front of some statue? To him, it means nothing. They have no power, they have no meaning, they're worthless. They're empty. They're sticks and stones. So, verse 27, but if it, so if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, so don't you know, stand on your Jewish traditions and say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to your house. or Oh, I'm sorry, I can't eat that food. And, and so on and so forth. It says, just be grateful for the hospitality and enjoy and fellowship so that you can share the gospel with them continues if someone says to you you know this has been offered in sacrifice well then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience i do not mean your conscience but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience if i partake with thankfulness why am i denounced because of that for which i give thanks so in other words if someone up you know or the Judaizer, someone else comes along who maybe really is concerned about the issue and they say, you know, that, uh, that meat's been offered to idols. Well, then Paul said, oh, don't eat the meat then. If, if it's a concern that it's going to be a stumbling block for that person because of their lack of understanding at this point, well, then just give it up for their sake, not for your sake, because it didn't become guilty meat for the person who understands their position and their freedom in Christ. Uh, my conscience isn't go- governed by someone else's concerns, but my choices might be governed by their concerns. Voluntarily, this was Paul's position, he's willing to just forego so that that wasn't a problem for the other person for the sake of their conscience. Maybe he'll have an opportunity to instruct them better in, in Scripture and in their understanding of the position the person has in Christ at a later date, but he won't shut it down by his deeds. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So follow my example, Paul says. A willingness to give things up, a willingness to adapt, a willingness to do what it takes for the sake of the gospel and other people's lives,
1: I think it's a, a beautiful principle and a beautiful commitment on Paul's part to do that. And I think we should consider then how what the implications are for us along that line. I want to consider his example as he lifted up Christ as the example. Look at Matthew chapter 9
0: with me, if you will, and that should be up here as well, 9 verses 37 and 38. By the way, I'm reading off the screen because when I printed this off, it just came out way too small. My eyes are too, eh, can't read this print anymore. (laughs) So then he, context is Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is Paul's heart, is that people might be reached for Christ. And and he's following Christ in in that, in that impetus, in that burden, that desire. Next one, Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. We all know this. Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the result of his... Victorious sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Now God has given him a name above every name. He's been established as Savior of the world, and so he has all authority. And based on that authority, he says, Go and make disciples. Now literally in the Greek it's it's in your going. So the command is not the the go part. The command is as you go, wherever you go, as you proceed as a believer, this is the command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He who has all power in heaven and earth is with those who go with the gospel message. So that's, that's, that's empowering. That that's, gives us great security and hope and confidence as well. So this is the heart of Christ. So where does this this go? Well, this is what I want to consider. We see what's happening around us, around the world, in our country, in our state, in our own community. And it gives us concern. We know, when we think biblically, that the ultimate solution is changed hearts in Jesus Christ. So what needs to happen? According to Romans 10, there need to be messengers. People need to come to Christ. How can they come to Christ unless someone tells them the gospel? How can someone tell them the gospel unless people mobilize and get out there and start doing it? So what should we consider? So I want to raise these questions and then just talk about
1: potential application just to get the ball rolling for us. So first point there. What might you know this doing what it takes, by all means... To see more come to Christ.
0: What does it mean for us as a church and for us as individuals? Because we can, we can nod our heads in assent. We can say, yes, this is important. People need Christ. What are we going to do about it? But we're, we're living in a, in a country and a time and a society that is, that is really, if we're honest, so post Christian. And, there, and, and the, we have younger generations coming up who. You know, it doesn't matter what our, what our country's history may have been, whether there's been strong Christian influence in the past, we have a whole new generation coming up who are really growing up in a non-Christian society. And I taught Scripture classes for years in a number of schools, and it was just kind of shocking and appalling to me how many of those students didn't know the first
1: thing of Scripture. Who here has heard of a man named Noah? Crickets. Who is Moses? Silence. Who's David? Who's Jesus? Oh, my dad mentions Jesus sometimes, along with some swear words. They don't know. And when I share the gospel and explain it to them, Like little
0: lights going on. They never heard this before. This is our reality. This is not a Christian nation anymore, if it ever really was. Maybe
1: it was predominantly, but that's not where it is. And I'd say the same of America. Well, so what's to be done about it? We don't want to just rant. We want to consider, okay,
0: what would God have us do? How then should we live? Hasn't God put us here at this time and in this place on purpose? What would he have us do? Well, it is not my belief that everybody is called to go to a foreign country to be a missionary. But we all need to be open and willing to accept that call if God does move us in that direction. We should never just just preempt that with a oh I couldn't do that or um, you know all my family's here why would I go to another place or you know well I've got all this potential and you know I, I was top of my class and I've got this degree and I'm supposed to make money and that sort of a stuff that would be a waste for me to go over there and do that really would it be a waste? Doesn't God need His best out there? Maybe you feel the other way oh I'm not good enough for that well God needs God honestly needs all types. Question is, does God want me to go? And being honest and open and willing to accept that. What about ministry here? Does God perhaps
1: want you to be involved in ministry here in this country? Where are the new pastors? Where are the new Sunday school teachers? Where are the new youth ministry leaders? Where are they? You know the pastors get together and 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 just
0: sometimes just shake their heads. That you know some of them have been doing this for decades and decades, and they're you know, let's be honest, some of them are getting a little old. I'm not talking
1: about Pastor Mike. Some of them are getting a little old, and they're getting a little tired. And they're saying, "I can't do this forever," but there's no one to take my place. Who's going to do it? Who is going to answer the call to give their lives
0: to ministry? But even if God isn't calling you to what we might, you know, for lack of a better word, call that career ministry, he calls us all to minister. That's the Great Commission. It's for everyone. So, so what are we going to do? We need to be critical thinkers in this area. We need to evaluate. We cannot just slide on tradition, okay? You know, churches have always done this thing or that thing, you know, and so we'll just keep doing that thing, and nothing seems to happen there, but hey, we just keep doing it. Right? Are we willing to reevaluate? Maybe our methods of the past are not so effective for today. All right, let's ask this next question. You know, What can or should we be doing to have a greater impact for the gospel? The next one, has our world or society changed?
1: Over the past 20 years, or 10 years, or five years, or even the last two years. Things have changed. On the other hand, have people and their
0: basic human, personal, emotional, and spiritual needs really changed much?
1: People are still people. They still have the same essential needs. We have to consider all these things. What methods
0: of evangelism have been used in the past that do not seem to be so effective anymore? Remember, methods of evangelism, unless they are explicitly put forward as this is exactly the
1: model to use in Scripture, and there's not a whole lot of that, methods are human inventions. So because it was effective 50 years
0: ago, doesn't mean it's effective now. So if it isn't, maybe it either needs a major update or maybe we just need some new methodology. And I'm not here to give you all the answers, I'm sorry. I haven't figured it all out, but, but we need to be, I'm pointing out that we need to be intentional and prayerful and thoughtful about this. We cannot just coast. I know this has been Pastor Mike's heart for for many years, and we we talk amongst the elders, and we pray. What can we do? How can we be more effective in our outreach? And we've tried certain things, and some things just haven't gone very well. We tried to reach out to our community by going around and offer some work in people's yards and have a car wash down here and everything. And what happened? We had a neighbor call us in and say, you know, they're they're committing water pollution over there at that church by washing cars out there and everything. We had the city council call us and say, you can't do that anymore. All right? So what next? What do we try? During COVID, we had an opportunity, uh, um, you know, with some gifts through Samaritan's Purse, we were able to, you know, put together quite an effort to put together care packages, right? And many, many participated in that. And it was a great opportunity to take these these care packages as an expression of christ's love around to our neighbors and knock on their doors and and yes there was christian literature in there and there was you know there was a gospel message and there was literature about the church and so on with a warm invitation you know but it but it came with strings unattached right we just want you to know you know this is our expression of christ's love to you we just want to help you and you know we had a couple of rolls of toilet paper in there when there was no toilet paper on the shelves. You know, there were coloring books for the children and games and treats and, and, and things like that. And, and so it was, a, it was a thoughtful, careful care package. Several years before, we put together little gift bags for the teachers and the, and the staff over at the school over here.
1: Right?
0: And the response I heard back from the principal was, oh, they were just so chuffed to receive those, you know, those gifts that was just so thoughtful and thoughtful. And we had a good relationship there for a while we were able to you know, do holiday club games out on the field and, you know, and things like this. And they were very open to us when we had our flooding and we had to have services over in their auditorium and so on. So that, that connection meant something. It was a good way of outreach. And, and I was able to teach scripture classes there for a number of years until um, that kind of pushed out organizationally through another group who took over the scripture classes, but I won't go down that road. Um, but there were opportunities like this. So what next? What can we do? These are the questions. Um, Noel has been faithful for years, going and knocking on doors and encouraging other people to go out with him and, and meet people of, by the train station and start up conversations and things like this. That's an old method that works for some people. It's it's you know, if God has given you the ability to strike up conversations and and think on your feet. <laughs> and lovingly share the gospel or at least intrigue people enough to investigate their, thought, their faith and their beliefs and give them a little bit of literature. Right? There have been others who have, who have gone out, uh, David and Antony and, and so on and others over the years. You know, if, if you feel that that would be a good method for you, a good medium, well, you know, it's one of many prongs of approach that we should take. Talk to Noel. He would be more than happy to, to uh, have you join that, that team. There have been, uh, we have our holiday club, and we really try to you know, draw in uh, children from the community, ask, ask families to invite their friends and so on, because we wanna share the gospel. We wanna reach the children with the gospel. It's become more difficult. It's increasingly difficult to teach scripture classes uh, in the public schools, but it's still possible. And Emmanuel is still um, you know, one of the churches that has maintained the accreditation to do that. They've made it more and more and more difficult to do that. Um, but they are still maintaining that, and so, you know, maybe you're someone who'd like to teach scripture classes in public schools. Would you do that? Consider it. Ask ourselves, what resources, developments, technology, et cetera, are available to us now that we might put to better use for effective evangelism in our current time and place? You know, we've got younger generations that are so savvy with, uh, with, with you know, media and Maybe there's more that we should be doing there. Maybe we should, can explore that. I'm not going to be the one to head that up. I would know not the idea, man, when it comes to, to social media. Um, but, but maybe we should do that. Uh, we know that uh, through Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Pastor Mike has had a lot to do with, with spearheading um, the Search for Jesus uh, outreach, which is an online outreach. It's worldwide, giving opportunity for people even in closed countries uh, to contact believers and ask their questions about spiritual truths and, and have things explained to them and have the gospel shared with them. And, and you have to go through some training. That's okay. You go through the training, and if you can give even a couple hours a week to be part of that, that ministry, there are so many people to reach. And we've got a number of people in the church family who have, who have been doing that. Right? And um, I encourage you to consider that as a possibility. What else? i was been praying about this question you know, for some time and had an interesting conversation even this week. There was a, a, a woman who was around quite a bit during the week, and I'm honest, honestly not sure, was it her children or her grandchildren, grandchildren that, that she brought? And, um, and we ended up in a, in a conversation on Friday afternoon, and oh, she and her husband uh, just have such a heart for, for outreach to, to immigrants and to refugees, and have done so over the years. And, and they were involved down in Liverpool heavily and so on, and then COVID kind of changed the scene for them and kind of closed some doors and so on, and they've been praying about how God would, would help them next to, to have an, in, an outreach, and they just got this you know, this burning heart for that. And, and, um, and something that I've just been thinking and praying about for years really is this thought, in our community, in the Blacktown area, you know we could have potentially a great outreach through teaching English as a second language and, and it's something that could start small but it so quickly can spread through word of mouth we have so many people from so many different nations in our in our community and they may not be in the immediate streets right here we've been knocking these doors for a long time but we're still we're in the blacktown area and this whole area all around us you know I don't have to tell you you just have to go to the to the to the shops to see um, how many new people are coming from all over the world here. And the reality is that there are many who, who are struggling with communication and their ability to really find a, you know, a foothold here. Or in some cases, you might have just one spouse. You might have a husband or something who has the professional training and all the effort went toward his learning the English and so on and so forth so he could step into his profession and, and get a job and do the earning you know, and that sort of a thing. And there might be a wife and mom at home who is feeling very isolated and very lonely, very ill-equipped to step out and connect with people because she really struggles with the language. And could we not have a ministry? I mean, God's blessed us with improved facilities here, and the downstairs is looking really good, and the kitchen's about to go in down there really soon. Couldn't we open our doors and say, Come, we don't have to have a big, sophisticated program. It can just be conversational English. Come, let us help you in this way. Now, not just to do, we're not just looking for a list of what good deeds can we do, right? It's always the purpose of the gospel. By all means, that more might come to know him. So connect with people. What can we do? We have to ask ourselves these questions. Maybe, and now, so I want to imagine, let's just go down this road to explore this. I'm not saying, I'm not announcing today we're starting this new ministry, et cetera, because we're not going to start it unless you're going to do it. According to Ephesians, the job of the pastors is to equip the people for the work of service, for the work of ministry. So we're happy to provide teaching, training, leadership, support, but we're not asking for people to come to us with new ideas of what more work we can do. You know what you should do. You should. Da-da-da. We're going to ask you. Great. When are you going to start that? Okay. Put your team together. Talk to us. We'll, we'll provide the guidance because we want ministries to be, you know, fit within the the, the vision and the scope and the, and the direction of our of our church and our values and our and our doctrines and everything like that. So talk to us by all means. Let us oversee things. But we need people who will step up and say, "Yes, I think God would have me do this." And so we, if we were to do that, if we were to do English as a second language, sure, I'd be happy to help teach. Angie's taught English as a second language as a ministry before. There may be others here. I don't know. But we would need people who would take charge of hospitality. Make sure that there are treats here. Make sure that the coffee and tea is ready to go. Somebody who's going to be in charge of making sure the tables and chairs are set up and broken down and put away afterwards. Someone who's going to say, I'll take care of whatever photocopying needs need to be done. Someone who's going to say, I will be there to be the warm and welcoming hug that someone might need. I'll be there to be the, the, the conversationalist just show the love of Christ. There would need to be a whole team of people, and you can't waffle about it. You can't just do it on the week that it's convenient. You have to be committed and take it as your ministry. I will be there every week. I will do this. That's what it takes. You can't just wait for other people to do the work. So I'm not saying this to scold anyone, (laughs) understand. I'm saying we need to take ministry initiatives seriously, commit ourselves to them, make them happen with God's power, but with our commitment. And so, and it takes all of our hands. So that's just one idea. Maybe there's something else. Maybe you will think of something else. I could easily imagine, though, that that could give us an inroad into many people's lives and then through them to their friends, to their family, their neighbors, and, and so on, with who might come and through whom we might, to whom we might <laughs> share the gospel. Maybe... Personal needs will arise from that. We have to be prepared. Maybe we'll find that in some cases they're destitute or they just don't have food on the table for this week. And so maybe it leads to a pantry ministry. No, maybe not one that we would advertise to the whole community, but through this avenue, for the people who come, you know, for English as a second language, if we learn through conversation there's a need, then we might be able to say, look, we have some resources we'd like to share with you. You know, this could expand and it would call upon us all to support a ministry like that. Again, maybe you'll come up with another interesting idea, but be prepared, be prayerful, ask God, would you have me do this? Because we won't accept ideas just dumped in our laps, but we'll be happy to talk to somebody who comes with an initiative to say, okay, I'm ready to help. I'm ready to put a team together. I'm ready, you know, and and cooperate, coordinate with us, and we would love to see that happen. So this is just, this is the challenge from the heart today. Admittedly less expositional, but, but I think based on, on the heart of the gospel, and we see the example of, of Paul, we see the example of Christ, that the most important thing, the preeminent thing should be, what can we do? Are we willing, by all means, to see more people saved? What would God have us do? Some people are already very busy, already committed to more than one ministry in the church. So, so a thing like this is not, is not intended to heap guilt on people to say, you need to be more busy, you need to be, you know, stretch yourself further. That's not, that's not the point. And, and we don't want to come to people and just lay new burdens on them. I'm challenging you to pray and ask God, what would you have me do, especially if you're someone who's not already heavily committed in ministry? If you feel that, you know, I should be doing something, or there's something more that I should be doing, then will you respond to God's leadership and say, I can do that. I can set up tables. I can be there every week and set up the tables and chairs. Or I can be there every week and bring some baked goods. I can be there every week to set out the coffee and the tea. I'll be there and sit and talk to people. I'll welcome them, make them glad that they showed up. You know, I'll do that. I can do the photocopying. we have ongoing needs in other areas too of course you know we're always you know wanting helpers in sunday school and 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 things like that i'm just thankful to the people who all stepped up for the holiday club that was just you know just a great response there so again i have no desire to lay guilt on people um or to just lay a heavier burden but i want to encourage us all to be prayerful about are the things that we're doing the things we should be doing Or is there something new or something different that God would have us do that by all
1: means we might lead more to salvation? Let's pray about that and then we'll ask uh, the men to prepare to come as we uh, observe the Lord's table and remind ourselves of that source of that salvation.